Well, today's sermon has a personal side to it for me because it's uh, actually my last sermon that I'll be preaching on a Sunday morning as your lead pastor. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look back on this whole thing of uh, these 35 years, and uh, there's a part of me that goes like, it seems like 1981 seems like a long time ago. And then there's the other side of it that, like, where did it all go? I mean, it's so fast. And uh, the thing I know is really this has been the best 35 years a guy could ever possibly hope to have. I I just love this church. I'm so grateful to God for Beck and I being able to be a part of it for for all these years. And we'll continue to be a part of it. When I come back in 2018, I'll... I'll be doing some preaching then, but Jeff will be the lead guy, and I'm excited for him with that. Uh, I find myself thinking about it all the time as I I dream of uh, Jeff being able to uh, lead Brookside uh, and, uh, you know, serve with all of you going forward. Uh, When I look back, I began, I graduated from seminary, the, the desire I had was that I would be able to do as well as I possibly could with preaching. And preaching's always been, for me, my number one priority, and I've, I've loved the challenge of it. And I, I um, you know, <laughs> I, just truly, in every way, it's, it's been a privilege to be able to do that. You know, one of the things that you, you wonder, as, and I've thought about this often, and, and especially this year, is what would be my... My last sermon, the subject of my last sermon as lead pastor, you know, and it's, it, it's the kind of thing that you, you know, you think about and you want to you wanna do a sermon that's as, you know, as absolutely as encouraging and uplifting and, and you know, all of that. Uh, you, you just want to do that when you f- finish your sermon. And so we have this 365 series. And... Part of this whole thing as we've been reading through the Bible this year is we've been tracking with our sermons, uh, you know, to coincide, to be right on track with what you've been reading as closely as we possibly can. And so, you know, I've got this in my mind all year. What's going to be the last sermon I'm going to do? And, and then I, I look at where we're at in, in this 365, and we're going to be in, we're actually in the book of, of 1 Peter, and I realize it's going to be about Satan. Like, what? You know, my last sermon uh, on Satan. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, but then I really, I thought about it more. And I, I realized that the more I, I, you know, contemplated the whole idea of doing a sermon on Satan, it's really the, it's really the right sermon to preach, to alert all of us to, the, to a reality that Satan really does exist. Because if we're, if we're not fully aware of this, we're, we're not going to be able to stand strong in our commitment to Jesus Christ. We're just not going to be able to. And so, you, you know, when you hear this, you, you might have thought to yourself, well, you know, Steve, really, I mean, it's Christmas. You're going to do a sermon on on Satan. Do, we got, do, you, do you really got to do that? And, I, and I, I, I'll say, you know, I really do. I really do. 
In fact, if you look in Scripture, there's a lot that's said about Satan. Going all the way back to the fall of mankind, he was there. He was largely responsible for it happening. He put the temptation in front of them. Satan was, read the book of Job. It's, uh, Satan's a big part of that and the whole thing of suffering. And, and then you think of, of the birth of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you go to the book of Revelation, the, uh, the 12th chapter, verse 4, talks about Satan is the one who's actually... The, the one behind Herod wanting to kill Jesus soon after he was born. A word very similar. It's used to the word that we're going to read here and what Satan wants to do to us. And the temptation of Jesus. And then you, you read the book of Revelation and you see the, 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 the Satan is becoming more visible, more evident as we come down to the end of, of human history. And so, yeah, we really, really need to understand this. So the, the scripture that we're going to look at this morning is one that Peter wrote in the first letter that he wrote to a group of people who were really experiencing in the worst way possible Satan's attacks. So let's look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5, two verses, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. And one of the things you're going to you find here in this verse is... is uh, Peter shows us how, how we can guard ourselves against Satan, what, what we need to do to really, you know, be on top of this. He said, be alert, be very aware, anticipate, be of sober mind. He's saying, what he's saying by that is guard your minds, what you let into your mind, because it's going to affect you in a big way, and you see this as we uh, talk through this today. He said, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's constantly on the move. He never stops. Resist him. Again, here's what he's saying. Resist him. You know, don't, don't, don't be passive about this. Standing firm in the faith, there again is your mind, what you allow into your mind, what you're building your life on, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So the truth that Peter is giving to us is Satan's our enemy. He's an enemy whose power is staggering. He's an enemy with intense hatred who's really determined to destroy you, to destroy me, to take us all down. Which explains why he describes Satan the way he did in that verse we just read. He, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Constant threat to you and me. Look at every occurrence of evil and destruction and death in our world. And you're right to assume that Satan's behind it. And his power is so great that he's able to dominate this world in which we live. John, John described it this way in a short letter found toward the end of the New Testament. He said, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. There's... There's no minimizing Satan's power over this world. Everything that is wrong with this world, Satan's behind it. He's, he's pulling the strings to make happen what he wants to happen. All to take every person as far from God as he possibly can. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes in the words of Peter to devour every person he can. He's a predator at its absolute worst. And so this being true, I, I, I'm convinced that it's critical for each one of us to be alert to the most dangerous 
of Satan's weapons in his arsenal of weapons against us, which I'm convinced is Satan's power to deceive. Again, in the mind, that's, that's why. You've got to guard your mind. In the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus called Satan a liar and, and the father of lies. And In other words, Satan not only lies himself, he's, he's really the source of every lie that's ever been told. And the truth is, Satan can deceive any one of us and he's got a catch of lies to use against us. So as I thought about this, I, I thought it would be good to unpack for you what, as I look back over 40 years of, of ministry, what I think are the top five lies that Satan uses against people to bring them down spiritually. And, and so this is what we're going to talk about. God can't be trusted. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. Some things can't be forgiven. You don't deserve this, and it's possible to earn God's forgiveness. Those five. So first of all, God can't be trusted. One of the things that we repeatedly face in life is who or what to trust. And, and very often the choice comes down to trusting God, what, what God shows us in his word that we should do and shouldn't do, or trusting someone or something other than God to guide you in life's most important decisions. That someone could be you, it could be another person, it could be the, the values of the culture around you. And I've seen people deal with this over and over again. And every time Satan's lie is that God can't be trusted. And I think there are, there are two subsets to this lie. The first is if you trust God, if you do what God wants you to do, if you don't do what God doesn't want you to do, you're going to somehow miss out on life. You're going you're to miss the best of what life can give you. Every, every choice you make, Satan puts this temptation in front of you to question whether or not God knows what's best and whether or not God wants what's best for you. And then if you choose what God wants you to choose, that somehow you're going to miss out on something. The second subset is the, in this lie is that you don't want to wait too long. And what Satan does here is question God's timing in your life. You, you've been trusting God for something to happen. It doesn't happen, at least not when you hoped it would. And the message Satan sends from any one of many directions is that you're making a mistake to wait any longer. It's likely that we've all been there more than a few times. We knew what God wanted us to do. We did it for a while, but when things didn't go as we expected, when we expected, we decided that we're going to take things into our own, hand, our own hands. And we did this even when it meant compromising what we knew was right. If this is where you're at today, or if you find yourself at some point, you know, dealing with this in the future, there, there are two things that, that I want to urge you to consider, all right? Two things. First, that it only makes sense that the God who created you knows what's best for you. Right? I mean, just think of this. God who created this universe, that a God who's so brilliant to, to make the human body, to make you who you are, Certainly this God would know what's best for everybody. The second thing is that the God who gave his son to die for you would want the best for you. 
I mean, it only makes sense, right? I, mean, I, I love how Paul expresses in the 8th chapter of Romans, in his letter to the Romans, he said this, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I mean, Paul's saying, if God gave his son to die for you, certainly God would want the best for you in all of your life. Second, for, for what it's worth, the longer I live, and I've had six, I'm 65, the more I'm convinced of, of God's trustworthiness. I, I don't regret a single time I followed God's path, but I, I do regret those times I didn't follow God. It's as though I have two files for these crossroads in life. I have a stupid file and I have a, a smart file. My stupid vials for those times I chose to trust myself rather than God and go my own way. My smart file is for those times I chose to trust God and follow his path for my life. I've always regretted the first. I've never regretted the second. So I'll say what I said many times these 35 years. I want to encourage you urge you to memorize and live out these two verses. I learned them as a child, and I'm so glad I did. This statement, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I really, I really encourage you. Get that deep inside. The second of Satan's lies that, that I really need to alert you to goes like this. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. One of the things that I've seen over these 40 years of ministry as a pastor is how much some things don't change in what people say and do. <laughs> I still hear people today saying what I heard people say way back in 1981. And and, and, and one of those things is the second lie of Satan's. If it feels right, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. Unfortunately, it's a lie that I've not only heard from people who claim no relationship with God. It's a lie that I've heard from men and women who, who will tell you that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. See, there's this potential in all of us to rationalize or excuse whatever it is we want to do, even when it goes against what we know is right, and even when we, it goes against what we know is the smart thing to do. And so Satan knows this, and he, he taps into it with this lie, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. I can't tell you, I mean, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I can't tell you the number of times I've had people say to me, when they're doing something that is clearly wrong, I mean, just clearly wrong, Steve, how can it be so wrong? How can it be wrong if it makes me so happy? I feel so good. You know? And every time I've heard this, no matter what it is, that somebody's wanting to do because it makes them feel good, I, I, I got to say to them, where does it say in Scripture that a person's happiness should determine their choices. You're not going to find it anywhere. 
I've also heard as often people saying to me, when they're doing something that is clearly wrong, I, I mean, I, I kid you not, Steve, I've prayed about this. And I feel right. And I got to say, man, what's there to pray about? I mean, it's, God states right in his word that this is the wrong thing to do or that this is something that you should do. You know, you don't have to pray about it. So if you're thinking this way, here's what you need to know, all right? What might feel good to you today, there's no guarantee that it's going to feel good in the future. There are always consequences to wrong choices. You and I need to remember that life's not over until it's over. <laughs> and ultimately, God's going to hold you accountable for sin in your life that you haven't admitted, confessed, and repented of doing. Last Sunday, Tim preached uh, uh, from five verses in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. Great sermon. If you missed it, you want to go online and watch it. And one of the verses that Tim touched on gives us a reality check that's good for all of us. See, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You can't dismiss that. If sin's not dealt with in your life now, you will be held accountable by God himself. You're, you're not getting away with sin. I mean, it, it's going to be dealt with. And, and if you want to talk about feeling good or not feeling good, it's not going to feel good. All right? You're not going to feel good. The third lie of Satan is one I'm guessing we've all struggled with at some point in our lives. It's the issue of forgiveness. Not only forgiving another person, but also forgiving ourselves. It's the lie that some things can't be forgiven. It's possible, in fact, it's even likely that some of us in this room are, are still struggling with forgiving another person or forgiving ourselves for something that happened years ago. Forgiving another person because of what they did to you, yourself personally, or to someone you love, or forgiving yourself for something you did that's messed up your own life in the lives of others. For some of you, Hearing me say this brings up emotions that really are right under the surface. You know? A certain anguish of the soul that's always there and almost daily stirring within yourself. And Satan knows about this. He, he knows the challenge we have in facing others. He knows the, the challenge we have in, facing, in, in forgiving ourselves. And he takes this. And he tells us this lie that if believed can do terrible harm to everybody in, in, involved. If, if you believe it, you hurt the person, you won't forgive whether that person is somebody else or yourself. You know, I, I got to tell you, believe this lie and you're likely to harm any number of people whose life intersects with yours. Well, again, Scripture is the best way to deal with any one of Satan's lies, and including this one. And, and, and this being true, there's two verses I encourage you to memorize. One is one that I, I learned way back in grade school as a child. I, I've loved it all of my life, so grateful for it. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where we read this. If we confess our sins, 
He's faithful. God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness. Not unrighteousness that's, you know, uh, uh, doesn't eliminate unrighteousness that's too big or too bad. It's, it's, there are no exceptions. God forgives all unrighteousness. And then as far as forgiving another person, um, you know, uh, if you say to yourself, what they've done is too big or too bad for me to forgive or I'm not there yet. If you think that, if you say that, you need to hear what Jesus included in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. He taught us to pray. When he, he made this statement, he said, we're, we're, we should say to God, God, forgive us our, our debts, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. I mean, can't miss that, right? We're to pray, Lord, forgive me the same way I forgive other people. And just in case we missed it, Jesus emphasized it at the end of, of the prayer. He repeated the whole thing again. He said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Friends, it's a, it's a horrible lie of the enemy. It says you can't forgive. And here's why. If he's got you believing this, he's got you living where you will not be forgiven by God. That's pretty serious. Would you agree? Well, there's a fourth lie. And it's one I said to myself on the Saturday morning after Thanksgiving. It's one I've, I've heard people say far too many times during my 40 years as a pastor. And I've known it's a lie for as long as, as I, I can remember. But it's one Satan whispered to me and I cried out to God. Satan said it this way. You don't deserve this, Steve. And I cried it out to God this way. God I do not deserve this. I don't deserve it. Many of you know that our son Greg died five years ago. Perfectly healthy guy. Never knew he had a heart problem. And not having Greg with us is a journey Becky and I will be on for the rest of our lives. And so will Nikki, our daughter. We're so grateful to God for the strength he's given us these last five years. We're, we're thankful to, to many of you who have supported us in amazing ways. But it's a journey. And there are moments, even days, when I don't do well. And two weeks ago, I had several of those days. And on that Saturday morning, Satan whispered that to me. You don't deserve this. And I repeated it back to God. God, I don't deserve this. I'm sharing this with you because it's a lie that I've seen take people down spiritually far too many times. 
something hard comes into their life and their first line of attack is God. Blaming God for what's happening. Accusing God of, of doing something that they didn't deserve. And the truth is, the hard thing you're going through isn't something God threw at you. It's a result of living in a broken, sin-filled world. Truth is, it's it, it, a world that is broken by man's broken relationship with God. I got to tell you, I mean, I hear this way too often. I just heard it two weeks ago. Yeah. Just someone who said, I'm done with God because of what happened to me. So here's what I've done. I do this to myself. Every time Satan brings that lie to me. First of all, I, I remind myself that God doesn't owe me a single thing. I don't deserve anything. Truth is, it's the exact opposite. I owe God everything. The privilege of life itself, every single breath that I take, every ability and opportunity that God's given to me, every act of kindness and love that people have shown me throughout my life. And most of all, God's given me his love and his grace and his forgiveness of my sin. And God's given me the privilege of a relationship with him. And God's given me the promise of eternal life. I remind myself of that. And I can tell you from personal experience, trust God and he'll give you everything you need. He'll give you everything you need to persevere through the hardest of times. Then I've reminded myself of what I've known for as long as I can remember. This life on earth and the hard stuff that comes with it, it's only a fraction of time compared to all of eternity. Huh? Fraction of time. There's a fifth lie, Satan. And it's the deadliest of all. Absolutely the deadliest of all. Deadliest because it's the lie that keeps you from a relationship with God. It's the lie that it's possible to earn God's forgiveness. That we can somehow do something, do enough of the right stuff and enough of not do enough of the wrong stuff. That somehow we can earn God's forgiveness. We can deserve it. That might be where you're at today. You've assumed this is the way it is. Or it might be that you were taught this all of your life. Maybe in a, you know, in whatever religious background you have. You might have heard this. And if this is where you're at, I believe I got the best news you could ever Never know, because it's a burden to live under, to think that somehow you got to earn God's forgiveness. Somehow you got to deserve it. And in your heart of hearts, in your moments of honesty, you, you know, I can't do it. You know that. So here's the good news. If you were here last Sunday, you heard Tim talk about the Bible being God's word. And I, I love how Tim took the time to talk through with you the logic of of God who created us communicating with us. I mean, it only makes sense. If God created us, 
communicate with us. And God's done that. You know, how it makes sense that, that God would reveal himself to us. He's done that. He's done it through creation, but he's, he's done it through the Bible. He's, he's, he's created this, this miracle of, of the written word that he's given us. And God's made it possible for us to understand how to have a relationship with him and, and, and how to make the most of life on earth and how to prepare ourselves for eternity. It only makes sense that the God who created us would communicate this with us. So I'd like to talk through with you just very briefly one ex example of God doing this. Jesus, the Son of God himself, is speaking to a man who all his life had been living with this assumption that, that it was all on him to make things right between himself and God. His name was Nicodemus, and he was actually a religious man. And here's what Jesus said to him. In John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. I just want to talk through this with you. God. God, the creator of this universe. I mean, I just... It just boggles my imagination to understand who God is, to, to look out. I mean, the better we understand the universe, the more we understand the, the absolute brilliance of God, the infinity of God. <laughs> but that's all we'd know if God didn't give us his word. So God gave us Scripture. He gave us the Bible, and in it, God communicated to us to help us understand what he's like. And one of the things we learn about God is that God's a holy God. And right away, I mean, I've thought of this so many times. I am, I am so thankful that the God who created this universe is a holy God, a God who, who will always do what's right, who will never do anything that's wrong. I can't imagine what it would be like if the opposite were true. And God is also a just God. Justice is something we, we all want. We all cry out to that more times in our life than we can probably even remember. We, we want justice done. And God is a just God. He, he will always do what's fair and right for everybody. And God also showed himself to be a loving God. God so loved the world. The world's us. You and me. And while it's true that there's a lot that's good in, and in every single one of us, it's also true that there's a lot that's bad. We're, we're sinners. And, and our sin is, is, is just no small deal. It, because what our sin does is it, it separates us from God. Right? The relationship that with God. There's a, there's a statement in the book of Romans in the sixth chapter, and at the end, part of that statement is, for the wages of sin is death. What, what you and I deserve because of our sin against the holy God is that we deserve death, and the word death in there means eternal separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. And so we have a, we have a big problem. But our God is not only a holy God and a just God, God who would, who would give us what we deserve, but he's also a loving God. God so loved the world. How much? 
He gave his one and only son, Jesus. It's so important to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus Jesus is the eternal son of God. He was was with God in creating this universe. He's God. He's God who at a point in time became one with us in our humanity. He became a human being. And living on this earth, he experienced every single temptation you and I experience. He, he understands what it's like to suffer, being, being a part of the human race, being a part of humanity. He, he understands all of that. And Jesus Christ did something I've never been able to do. He did something none of us have ever been able to do. He lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father, to God, perfect life, a holy life. And because he did that, he could do what I couldn't do for you or you couldn't do for me. He died for our sin. He died for your sin. When he went to the cross, he, and as he hung on that cross, and he's, as he died, the, the awfulness for him, the worst part of it all wasn't the physical death. It was taking on himself God's judgment. Your sin and my sin. That's why he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he was taking all of God's wrath, all of God's justice, your sin, my sin on himself. (laughs) Which brings it back to us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him and Jesus will never perish but have eternal life. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means believing who he is. He's God. It means believing what he's done. He he came to this earth to die for you. And believing in Jesus means that you say, man, I am a sinner. I can't be good enough because there's always going to be sin in my life and all it takes is one sin to separate me from God. So it's putting all of your trust in what Jesus has done for you. That's what Christmas is all about, really. That's what it's all about. God's Son coming to this earth to be your Savior. You know the, the amazing and wonderful thing about this? Is that God's made it so absolutely simple to receive it. All you have to do is... Is have a conversation with God. It's really, in a sense, saying, God, I don't, want, I don't want to believe that lie anymore. God, I want to put my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness through Christ. You can pray that prayer this morning. This next minute. I'm gonna, we're going to be sharing in here in a short minute. And we're going to be celebrating together by eating the bread and drinking the cup what Jesus did for all of us. And this morning, before we do that, you might might be out here sitting and you've been listening to me and you'd you'd say, Steve, man, I need this. I, I am that person who's been believing that lie. And I today want to put my trust in Jesus. You can do that. You can have a conversation with God in these next minutes. And you can become, you can have God's forgiveness.
So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'm going to begin by leading you in a prayer that you might like to pray. And you can just pray it right where you're seated, seated, and just quietly, and God will hear you. All right? Let's do that. Father, I, uh, for all of us, I thank you for your love. Father, for that person uh, sitting here today who would say, I want your forgiveness, God. I pray this prayer with them. Father, oh God, I thank you that you're a holy God. I thank you that you're a just God. And I thank you that you're a loving God. And God, today, I, I understand that I, I can't earn, I, I can't possibly deserve your forgiveness and, and your love and eternal life and, because I'm a sinner. And so, God, this morning I put my trust in what Jesus did for me when he died on that cross. He took my sin, and I trust in him. In Christ's name.